Welcome in to the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. I'm Emily Proud. We are here to react to the second edition of the college football playoff rankings. I want to bring in some friends here to talk about it because, guys, it was an absolutely wild weekend of college football. Brandon Marcello and Chris Hummer are here. Nine ranked teams lost. We have two new teams in the top four, but perhaps the biggest conversation surrounding this iteration of the college football playoff rankings is what would the committee do with number one? Tennessee losing and TCU moving up to the fourth spot. Brandon, I'll start with you. Make the argument. Why should Tennessee be out of the top four and TCU get that coveted four spot? Uh, if I was a committee member, I would just make something up on the spot and that would be good <laughs> enough. Uh, no, listen, I, I kind of thought the committee would wait a week to move mm -hmm. TCU up to see if they could go on the road and beat a quote unquote ranked Texas team and then give Tennessee not necessarily the benefit of the doubt, but just look at their resume and go, well, they've got more ranked wins than TCU at this point. They just played in arguably the number one team in the country in Georgia and lost by two touchdowns on the road. Tennessee has been playing very well going into that game. And of course it's a loss, but TCU's strength of schedule, not quite there. And the remaining strength of schedule is what we're going to see TCU be able to build themselves up. I thought the committee would wait a week because look at this. TCU's strength of schedule so far this season is 68th. Tennessee's is number two in the nation, all right, according mm -hmm. to ESPN. The remaining strength of schedule for TCU is number one in the nation. So you want to get in TCU into that top four, win these next games. I don't think we're, we should put TCU in the top four quite yet. I think Tennessee still deserves that spot because – Listen, the volunteers break the schedule has been number two in the nation so far. Yeah, Chris, real quick, how do you justify the difference week to week? UT went on the road, lost to the number one team in the nation now. TCU had to come back again to beat Texas Tech. How do you justify it in the committee's eyes to have TCU as the fourth team? I mean, you could try to justify it, which is what I think the committee did by saying that wins good. matter close now. And last week it was that we don't like TCU having to come from behind um, to win football games. So I don't think the committee has consistent justification for it. Personally, I would have TCU in that number four spot. I think they should have been in that spot last week and they were underranked um, by the committee. They're unbeaten and they're playing in, I think, the most difficult top to bottom conference in the country, not in terms of necessarily team quality, but in terms of parity from top to bottom. They are facing teams week in and week out that are capable of beating TCU. TCU is capable of finding a way to get that done. But the issue here for me is just like the committee says one thing one week and the committee says another thing another week. And we just don't have any um, consistent rationale behind their decisions. Obviously, this is a TV product. Um, the committee doesn't really have to justify anything to us. This is just to drive ratings for ESPN. Also clicks for um, companies like us, and we certainly enjoy playoff content. But it would be nice if we had a consistent justification as to why teams rank where they do. And I think by placing TCU above Tennessee this week, the committee was really inconsistent with the way it values wins. We saw a week ago, that wins didn't matter quite so much to the committee when placing TCU seventh. And now that Tennessee has a loss, the committee decided to value wins a little bit more. So I would just love to see more consistency from the group. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a conversation that we're going to have every single week on this show is, is how do you justify the changes? And I think that 
what will make an easy case is, of course, if TCU goes on the road and loses to Texas this weekend. They are an underdog, so Vegas certainly thinks that their first loss is coming this upcoming weekend. Guys, there's a lot of shifting with the rankings, too. Clemson being knocked out of that top four. Michigan moving on up. Brandon, I want to ask you, what do you think about Michigan there in the top three? Yeah, I mean, very well deserved, even though I know a lot of people will talk about their schedule, but their margin of victories have been great. I know everybody goes, hey, they were trailing records at halftime, but then they scored 38 unanswered points that continue to just absolutely bludgeon their opponents. And we're just all sitting here waiting to see what happens with Ohio State and Michigan in the game. I think we all know that. We're just sitting there. We're waiting for maybe someone <laughs> to stumble. We thought Ohio State might stumble at Northwestern. So, yeah, uh, very much deserved, and we're just waiting for that showdown. Yeah, this feels kind of like a moot point, right? Because they will yeah. play at the end of the year. So we'll just decide that on the field. So let's move on to the Pac-12. And Chris, I know you have some thoughts about UCLA versus USC. Please explain what the heck's going on there. It, I, I just, it's ridiculous. UC, USC is at eight and UCLA is at 12. I just, I need somebody to explain this to me. They have a very similar strength of schedule. I think USC is 64th and UCLA is 66th. UCLA has a win over Utah by 10 points, a team that USC lost to. And common opponents are supposed to be a deciding point for the committee when they consider teams even at the margins. UCLA has two top 25 wins. USC has zero top 25 wins. And the committee, which always seems to harp on balance for teams, they criticize offenses that aren't elite. They criticize defenses that aren't elite that are getting carried by one side or the other. They are looking at a USC defense that ranks 108th nationally and yards allowed per play. That USC defense is atrocious. UCLA doesn't have that problem. And yet there are four spots separating USC and UCLA this week. USC jumped Alabama and Clemson and the committee left UCLA and Ole Miss, which is a different conversation altogether, behind those two teams. And there really isn't any actual justification I could come up with for it. The rationale makes no sense. And I would, I would certainly love to hear what the committee has to say about those two teams. Just follow the actual criteria that the committee is supposed to follow. And they're going against every item when it comes to USC and UCLA. And Chris just hit it all on the head perfectly right there. Here's another thing to consider with this. UCLA played three ranked teams, as Chris mentioned, and they happened back to back to back. Mm -hmm. And their loss, their lone loss against a ranked team, was the last one against Oregon. So you can argue there, you got to look at the context. They played them back to back to back, not spread out, and that was an issue. And you mentioned USC's defense, which has been atrocious statistics. But they do lead the nation in turnover margin, and that has saved them in at least two games but particularly that road game earlier this season against Oregon State when they intercepted Chance Nolan four times and needed a rally there in the final two minutes to score a touchdown and win. Where am I seeing a USC team that has shown itself worthy of being a top eight program compared to where UCLA, as you mentioned, Chris, has been able to beat the likes of a Utah by double digits and USC, while a great game, still lost to the Utes on the road. Uh, it makes zero sense based on the criteria the committee is supposed to be following. Yeah, well, that changes week to week as we have established and, you know, changes every time that we come here to talk on this show. I also think something that, that they say is important is if you're trending in the right direction toward the end of the season. Ever since USC took that loss to Utah a couple weeks ago, they've been playing 
really close to some teams that they should be absolutely demolishing. Guys, looking at the Pac-12 as a whole, we, we kind of just assume that there's probably not a pathway for a team to get into that final four and to get into the playoff. Oregon may be the one that we, we give the most shot, but overall, when you're looking at this, who's a team that maybe could surprise us and you know maybe outside shot could potentially get into that top four? Chris, start with you. Out of the Pac-12 specifically? Let's go anywhere. Um, Whatever you think. I, I don't, at this point, I don't know if there's a ton of surprises out there. Texas. I think I, <laughs> probably Texas. Texas, even a, even a six and three Texas is sticking around in the discussion. Got that juggernaut TCU on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Actually, speaking of Texas, you know what? Let's, uh, let's go to a Texas adjacent person, Mac Brown. This is a, a Austin legend and now a, ah. a Chapel Hill legend. I don't know if North Carolina will have a shot to make it there, but I think North Carolina was greatly benefited today. Their only loss is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is back in the rankings. Notre Dame has some important games ahead of it, notably against USC. And North Carolina still has the space to jump up with some big wins down the stretch. Obviously, North Carolina has a potential ACC championship game with Clemson looming, but North Carolina still has to play Wake Forest. North Carolina still has to play NC State which is uh, pretty highly rated by the committee as well. So they have some chances to make some statements um, as they move throughout the season. Um, North Carolina obviously has some question marks, specifically that defense. But if you're talking about a resume that gives it chances to move up the rankings and make an impression, I think North Carolina is one of those teams a little bit further back in the pack that at least has a chance to impress itself upon the committee. I think we go back to the Pac-12 and look what the committee is saying about USC right now. They're setting that up potentially to where we're going to see maybe a Utah and USC go up against each other or something like that again. And I just don't understand what they see in USC, but they're setting them up a, a very outside shot to potentially get bumped up in there. But yeah, you know, I'm with Chris here. There. It's there's a very clear like line here of actual contenders, and there's not very much outside, you know, that top five, top six right now. Um, and the way we're moving forward right now, I, I just don't think we're going to see a team just suddenly rise from nine or ten somehow, and, and crash the party. Hey, USC and UCLA will play each other on November 19th. So another thing that will get settled on the field. Forgot to mention, I have a million questions for these two, and I know they have a lot of questions for the committee right now. But if you guys have any questions in the chat, feel free to submit them, and we will answer them at the end of this show. Guys, we are talking about college football playoff rankings, and we're not saying the likes of Clemson, Alabama. Could this be the first time we have a college football playoff without those two juggernauts, Brandon? Yeah, bye. See you guys. See, we just, don't have yeah. to talk about okay. you anymore. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's I it. Think, it's uh, over. Yeah, I think so. I think it's done for. It's it's over with. And then um, Alabama's in a position here to maybe just kind of upset the apple cart potentially. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I think they're done for Alabama's done for Clemson's done for there's probably another loss on the schedule to be honest, potentially with Clemson, with the way they've been playing and especially offensively and DJ Uyangle. It's kind of amazing how with Alabama and Clemson, they've all got their different types of issues and especially Alabama defensively, but you know, Alabama and Clemson are just both struggling right now at receiver. They just don't have game breakers in the receiver room. And we kind of thought going to this season, and I was saying, and I'm sure others, 
And I'll admit that I was way wrong. I thought Alabama by the end of this season would be sitting back going, yeah, they, they got maybe the best receiver room in the country. They're right up there with Ohio State, and they're anything but. I think they got the fifth most drops in all of college football in that receiver room right now, which is just insane right now. And um, there are going to have to be some big changes this offseason, uh, potentially at both programs, but especially Alabama, because this has been trending this way the last two years. Chris, we all kind of agreed on this show that we're not going to say that the dynasty is over, that Nick Saban all of a sudden forgot how to coach. But how does Alabama find themselves with two losses before the Iron Bowl for the first time since 2010? I think one thing college football fans have freaked out about the last decade or so is the dominance of just a few teams. Um, for a long time, it was Alabama and Clemson were those two teams um, from basically 2015 to really even like 2021. Um, I realized the last national championship for that group was 2020. But those teams had a very long run of dominating the sport. And I think for the first time in a long time, maybe perhaps outside of Georgia, we've seen the rest of the sport inch closer to those two teams. I can't really put my finger on one reason as to why. I think, as Brandon said, it has a lot to do with coaching staffs getting stale. I don't think Bill O'Brien's worked out the way Alabama would want it to. And Clemson's been really insular with the way it hires its coaches, um, Dabo Sweeney probably needs to do a lot of reinventing on his staff to bring in change elements. Part of it's, as Brandon mentioned, these two teams were built in very specific ways to win dynasties in this era, and that was through elite wide receiver rooms. Um, right now, neither one of those teams has them. But on the whole, college football, like from a scheme standpoint, from a talent standpoint, thanks to the transfer portal as well, has closed the gap on those teams. It might not be college football as a whole. Most teams are still not going to be capable of beating Alabama week by week. But we saw Tennessee top of Alabama with a scheme change and some dynamic playmakers. And in this sport, the way it's set up, if you have dynamic playmakers, you can do a lot. And the teams that have them are going to be able to push forward. And right now, Clemson and Alabama lack them to a considerable degree. And when you can't overcome that with scheme, I think you have a season like this where Alabama and Clemson remain very good teams. I think we should emphasize that both of these teams are probably still 10 of the best teams in the country, but they're not the prohibitive favorites anymore over the rest of the field because the rest of the field is caught up in some key areas. And um, until we see changes for both those programs moving forward, I think they could continue to be stuck lagging behind teams like Georgia and Ohio State that continue to push, push the barrier in terms of both skill talent and their ability to out-scheme folks with the changes both staffs have made in the last couple of years. You know, a yeah, rising okay. tide is are supposed to rise all ships. <laughs> and Alabama, Bryce Young is by far the best player on that team and has yeah. put them over the edge in some great games and has given them a chance. But that defense is absolutely lacking the clutch gene. They have blown it against Tennessee on the road, and they blew it against LSU. And to me, that all goes back to Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, and it goes back to Nick Saban. Remember, he is coaching that secondary that has given up more big plays this season than we're accustomed to seeing. And of course, in the fourth quarter and even in overtime, they have blew things in assignments and they just don't look like the same type of group. There's a lot of self-reflection needs to be happening there. I think Alabama more so than Clemson. I think Alabama, you're going to see some sweeping changes this offseason. Well said, both of you. All right, before we get to some viewer questions, I want to ask you both this 
Because I think it's interesting when you look at the college football landscape as a whole, and some conferences have moved towards getting rid of divisions. Some of them, unfortunately, still have divisions. So not all of these teams will play for a conference title. So Brandon, let's start with you. Which team that won't play for their conference title do you think has the best shot of making it into that Final Four? Very easily, Tennessee. They're, they're, as I mentioned, their strength of schedule right now is number two overall in the nation. So they've got that on their resume already. But their remaining strength of schedule is only 78th. And that actually benefits them because they've already put up some good numbers against really quality opponents already on their schedule. And they've got a really kind of quite easy path here. They don't have to worry about going to the SEC championship game, as you mentioned. And their remaining games are against Mizzou, at South Carolina, and at Vanderbilt. So they got two road games that actually helps their strength of schedule, but it's against an average to below average South Carolina team and also a very dreadful Vanderbilt team. So really this is what Georgia, you know, they need to count on Georgia to just keep winning at Tennessee, but all they need is Georgia to keep winning. They need TCU to lose once, which it's going to happen with their remaining strength of schedule. Because as I mentioned, TCU's strength of schedule remaining is number one in the nation after being in 68 entering this weekend. So count on those two things. I think right now you could easily do so. And then you need Ohio state to beat Michigan mm -hmm. in the game. And guess where that game is it's in Columbus. <laughs> so Tennessee is sitting pretty right now and should feel great despite losing that big game at Georgia. Chris. Yeah. I wish I could disagree with Brandon. I think it's Tennessee, but let me, let me at least make this an exercise and talk about the big 10 really quick. Okay. Michigan's non-conference schedule is obviously terrible. Colorado state, Hawaii, UConn, um, go, go Huskies, you know, much better this year under Jim Mora. Mm -hmm. Shout out to them. They might qualify for a bowl, but still not nothing to write home about, but what That's Michigan, best has, win done too. What, <laughs> <laughs> what Michigan has done and done consistently is beat the teams. They're supposed to soundly Michigan's average scoring margin is first nationally. They dominated Penn state at home. And if Michigan plays Ohio state close in the game on the road in a couple of weeks, I think Michigan has a legitimate argument to be in that top four. Uh, they still have a game with Illinois ahead as well. Um, probably not exactly what the committee considers a top 25 caliber team, but a very good team. So that resume can get better for Michigan. And I think Ohio State's the same thing on the other side of that. Ohio State has a strong win over Notre Dame in the non-conference. They have rolled through their Big Ten schedule um, outside of a couple hiccups like the Northwestern game, but I think that was more weather dependent than anything else. Ohio State's um, average scoring margin is second nationally, just behind Michigan. They've also beat the teams they're supposed to soundly. So the Big Ten is not a difficult place to run the table through. Michigan and Ohio State have cut through the Big Ten like butter. And if either one of those teams loses close in the game in a couple of weeks, I think both have a very strong argument to be in as non-conference or as non-conference champions, as long as they're competing with a potentially two loss team from the big 12 or potentially two loss team from the pac 12 for that final spot. And I think that's very realistic given the games in front of all of those teams. We just need to, right. we just need to have a big 10 sec playoff. Like that was being rumored in the off season. Cause that's what this is. That those are going to be the four <laughs> best we go teams. to the super conferences. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I like the conferences that got away that went away from division titles. Cause you feel like it's the, best teams actually playing for it where you know it's whoever's the winner of michigan ohio state <laughs> hey 2020 acc when notre dame was there as a, a mm -hmm. interim member was the perfect explanation for why we need divisionless format 
I mean, wouldn't it be terrible to get Michigan Ohio State twice in the same year? Like, who would want that? Like, it'd be awful. Who would want to see them play twice instead of Wisconsin or Purdue or Iowa coming out of the Big Ten West? Yeah, we'll see what happens there, guys. All right, we're going to show you a top six that both of you made of what you think the top six should be. The reason that we're showing this to you towards the end is that it's not, you're not guessing what you think the committee would have done. You're making the case. And you both talked about the number four team here a little bit at the beginning. So just final thoughts before we take some questions here. Brandon, why should Tennessee be that fourth team over TCU? They got the best resume. Their one loss is against Georgia. Uh, it was just on the road this past week. They've got five ranked wins. They have proven themselves against the nation's number two strength of schedule, as I mentioned already. They belong at number four. TCU does not belong there based off the strength of schedule they've had, all the comebacks they've had to put together, which have been impressive. That's fantastic. But TCU has their chance moving forward to get in that top four if it can win these games against the nation's number one defense and remaining schedule. It's as simple as that. Chris, your response. TCU hasn't lost. And I mean, they haven't lost against the schedule. While on paper isn't as good as what Tennessee's faced, TCU at one point played five straight teams that were above 500 in the Big 12 play. The two teams most recently they played that are below 500 are West Virginia and Texas Tech, both of which have monumental wins this year. West Virginia over Baylor, Texas Tech over Texas. So that shows every team in that conference is capable of beating you every week. And I think TCU, just based on the win-loss column, at least for now, deserves to be above Tennessee. It might be a different conversation at the end of the year once we have all the data in front of us. But TCU at this point has earned that spot, in my opinion. All right. We need some human... Listen, I'm sorry, Emily. What? No, we need some We need some humanity added to this. I don't understand. All right, so what's this playoff <laughs> committee where they're supposed to discuss things? They sit in there uh-huh. for eight or nine hours on Monday. Then they come back mm-hmm. Tuesday morning and they hang their hats up outside and then the show of recognition that they're not biased and all this stuff. The problem is, is that humans, we are inherently biased. We carry them with us into any room. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you take a hat off or not, whatever, okay? They, they hear me out, okay? We got rid of the BCS because we all got sick of the the computers and all that. All right. I'm going to tell you trust computers. Yeah. If the BCS was around right now, the top nine teams in order would be the same as the playoff committee ranked tonight. All in order. Nine. Get this. 15 of the top 16, all in order. Let's just go back to the BCS guys. I'm pro, (laughs) but I certainly, I think we, I think we should have some balance that goes with, with hey, computer models. Get some SP computer? plus in there. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Like get Bill Conley's rankings in there. Get some smarter people in the room, other than like not that the people in the committee room Ooh. aren't smart and well educated. Don't want shade. Get get some balance in the room outside of athletic directors <laughs> who have full time jobs that are in there making decisions um, and can't watch football all week. Um, Listen, maybe they're think- not watching football. Maybe they're just sitting in there just drinking beer ordering hamburgers and everything, ordering hamburgers, <laughs> just watching these games, maybe a little bit. And they just had the BCS computer in the, in the side room there, like the Whopper in war games running its BCS formulations. And they just put it out there and go, let's just like move one team here or there. So it looks like we mm-hmm. uh, actually had some discussion on this. It, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, 15 of the top 16 in the same exact spots is what the BCS would have it. On Super Tuesday, who would have known that a conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's take off the tinfoil hat. Stop real quick. the count. It's not- <laughs>
<laughs> okay, before the show just goes completely off the rails, I, I, it is an interesting conversation. I, I do think that you're starting to see the, the human element and everybody has their biases and, and we, we completely get that. Um, so along those same lines, we're going to ask our first question about the University of Tennessee, uh, because I think that that's an important team that we should talk about a lot on the show. Uh, this is from JMAC Volunteer. How difficult will it be for Tennessee, now a winning slash legitimate program moving forward, when they have to recruit against established teams like Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State? By the way, the highlighter color. <laughs> Subtle, right? For those who don't know, I'm born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee, but I do think that this is a good question because it goes along the same lines of, of what we discussed with Clemson and Alabama and some other programs kind of rising to, to more relevancy and competing, not just through the transfer portal, but with recruiting as well. So, Chris, you seem like you, you're interested in this question. I'll let you answer it first. Well, I think I think consistency in college football is the most difficult thing to achieve um, yeah. and that it will be a challenge for Tennessee to consistently not only compete with those teams, but recruit against them in the most difficult place to recruit in America. Like, frankly, um, the best recruiters in the country are in the Southeast because they have to be. Like, if you're not capable of going head-to-head -head with some of the best recruiters in the country, you're not going to win football games out there. And Tennessee right now is doing a reasonably good job of that. They have the number 11 overall class in 2023. Um, they have one of the best quarterback recruits in the country as well, and they clearly are invested from an NIL standpoint. So they have the tools in the toolbox to go attack recruiting in the way you need to. It's just a matter of seeing if that staff, which I think um, for a lot of people was a big question mark coming in, whether a staff that largely migrated from UCF um, could recruit the way they need to in the SEC. Right now, the early returns are good, but it's one thing to recruit when you're doing well. It's another thing to recruit at times when you don't have the greatest season in program history in 20 years. So it's just a matter of, I can't predict the future. I think Tennessee will be fine recruiting, but it'll be really interesting to see in a year or two how they're holding up when they have to recruit during a season, maybe in which they're nine and three or eight and four, because it's probably going to happen. It happens to every program not named Alabama. So that will be the difference for Tennessee, whether they can maintain the consistency. Yeah, another one of those teams that were mentioned in this question is Georgia. And that leads us to our next question here from Darth Janus, will Georgia go to the playoff? Will Georgia go to the playoff undefeated, Brandon? Oh, yeah. They're by far away the photo. best team in college football <laughs> right now. I, I think they're not going to be in danger until they get in the playoff and they potentially face Ohio State or Michigan, but maybe more so in Ohio State. And, and going back real quick, I think Michigan in the trenches is very comparable to Georgia. And that would be interesting. But Ohio State's got the weaponry to kind of attack Georgia's defense and, and exploit some weaknesses there. Even though Tennessee didn't quite have that, I think Ohio State has a little bit more, not necessarily firepower, but a little bit more of a balance there to be, potentially do that. So um, I think Georgia's going to run away these next three weeks. They're going to be in Atlanta, and they're going to they're going to beat whoever they have to face in Atlanta. And they're, they're not going to be challenged again until they play in Ohio State or Michigan. Up next at Mississippi State at Kentucky and finishing against Georgia Tech. And we assume as of how things look now in the West, they will be facing LSU in Atlanta. Chris, it seems like you struck a nerve with this whole USC versus UCLA thing. So let's ask this question from GoBlack45. Why is UCLA so far behind USC? They have larger wins over ranked teams while USC has none. 
You wanna you wanna open up this can of worms again, Chris? Um, I just, my best answer know. is I don't, don't know. know. I find it very frustrating, and um, <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with the brand. Um, but we talked about tinfoil hats. I should take mine <laughs> off. I don't have a really good rational reason for it. Um, as you said, um, UCLA has better ranked wins. Um, they beat the team that USC lost to. Um, they have a far more balanced team, a similar strength of schedule. I don't think there is a rational justification for UCLA to be so far behind USC. Frankly, I don't think there's a rational justification for UCLA to be behind USC right now. The best I can say about the whole thing is they play in two weeks and we'll be able to decide it on the field then. <laughs> There'd be quite more outrage about this. Think about this. If it was Alabama and Auburn being discussed right now and they had similar resumes right now, compared to USC, UCLA, this is not getting enough attention. It needs yeah. more attention. This is ridiculous. It really is. Can we just, is the reason why it's not getting enough attention is people just stuck in LA traffic at six when this came out. They didn't wait for the front <laughs> time audience over there. That has to be what it is. That's, that's gotta be it. Well, we will carry the flag for this discussion because we think that it's absolutely nuts. Ronan has a question here. Are we entering an era where there is more balanced distribution of power among good teams? Brandon, you take this one. Well, absolute power, uh, whatever that saying is, I'm not smart. So I, I think the, the I see <laughs> you'll see, I think you're seeing more balance now in the top 10, but mm -hmm. below that, it is just a, a, an uncontrollable wildfire of like trying to figure out who should be the next 10 teams in the rankings. And Hummer and I were talking about this before we went on air about how just difficult it is to rank just the top 30 teams when we file our ballots at the beginning of the week. But I think you are seeing more balance among the top 10, but Georgia, because their system and the way they've recruited for the last five, six years has built itself up to where they're reloading. Like we saw within Alabama the last two or three years and Alabama has stubbed its toe a little bit. And most notably, I should mention about Alabama, they've stubbed their toe in the transfer portal as well. Georgia has not had to lean on the transfer portal all that much. So they're, that transfer portal is allowing others to catch up, but it's also hurting Alabama because they've, they've swung and missed, but um, much more balanced in the in the top 10, which, again, uh, I could mention all kinds of teams, but, again, just it makes Texas A&M's fall this year so much more drastic than maybe even people sit there and believe, like, oh, this is bad. They should think about Jimbo Fisher in the future. There's, like, there, there should, there's no reason why A&M should not be a top 15 team this season. Yeah. All right. Before we move on to our next question, I want I want everybody to take a, a look at Ronan's photo. It is stunning. The lighting, the bow tie. I mean, he is he is looking real spiffy there. But we have another question that we need to get to here. This is from Spurs Five Time Champs. What's the lowest ranked team that has a chance to make the playoffs? Chris, what do you think? As a Mavericks fan, I just find that username offensive. Oh, but, that's um, why I went to you for this. Okay. But um, I think it's, I think I really, frankly, I don't think you can really go past eight. Or maybe if you really feel good about UCLA moving forward, you can go there as well and kind of bracket them in and Ole Miss as well. But I think, I think the lowest you can go is North Carolina at 15. Um, North Carolina still has to play NC State. North Carolina has the opportunity to likely play Clemson. In the ACC championship game, North Carolina's only loss this season is to Notre Dame, a team that has obviously jumped into the rankings this week. I think it would take a lot of chaos for North Carolina to move up that high. It would involve the Pac-12 eating itself alive. It would involve the Big 12 doing the same thing. It would likely involve Michigan and Ohio State, one of the two imploding before they get to the game and the other one losing to that team. 
you would need a lot of chaos for it to happen. But there is a scenario I can see where North Carolina runs the table and jumps into the top four. All right. Let's finish with uh, this question about the transfer portal. Let's throw it up here. I'm sorry. Uh, that's a lot of capitalization, lowercase. So I'm just going to say thank you for your question. Does DJU transfer to Ohio State next year if his brother commits to Ohio State? <laughs> what do we think? I'll take I'll take that one. I, him and his brother are not a package deal. Um, there's no. a reason why Mateo has not looked like a Clemson lock throughout his recruitment. Um, I think Ohio State's quarterback room is in pretty good shape without DJ. Um, that'll be Kyle McCord versus Devin Brown this offseason. I think the Buckeyes feel really good about the post-DJ Stroud era. Um, I think the interesting question from that is whether DJ is at Clemson next year. He's very unlikely to head to the NFL based on the season we've seen. Um, I'll be very I'll be very interested to see how that's handled. Obviously, Cade Club next to the future at Clemson. I think those kind of around college football speculate that DJ might test the waters, but you never know um, with Clemson. It's a program based on loyalty. Davo Sweeney, um, you could argue, is loyal to a fault, and he might want to protect his guy DJ. But um, I think DJ is a really good quarterback. He hasn't had the best two seasons, but there are certainly a lot of teams in college football that would be happy to take a flyer because he's still a supreme talent. Yeah, DJ Uyangale is the type like Kelly Bryant we saw going to Mizzou or Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina. I don't think DJU is going to be the starter next season at Clemson, obviously. And if he wants to be a starter somewhere, he, he better better in the transfer portal. And so I, I think that is going to happen, in my opinion. That's what makes this sport so exciting, is these teams that are out of it. Now we're starting to talk about transfer portal with them. Just stick around. We'll see what happens next. Guys, thank you so much, as always, for the great discussion on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. I remind you every week, but I'm going to continue to do it. Please like, share, rate, and subscribe. And thank you so much for all of your great comments. We'll see you again back here, same time, next week.